بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم we continue now in the book of كتاب الصيام the book of fasting from بلوغ المرام and this is class 15 حديث 546 and the author رحمه الله will begin uh, now addressing the احاديث uh, related to uh, fasting and the traveler uh, the author related the hadith of Jabir Jabir bin Abdullah radiyallahu anhuma anna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kharaj aam al-fatih ila Mecca fi Ramadan fasama hatta balaga uh, until he hatta balaga kura'a al-ghamim fasama al-nasu thumma da'a بقدح من ماء فرفعه حتى نظر الناس إليه فشرب ثم قيل له بعد ذلك إن بعض الناس قد صام فقال أولئك العصا أولئك العصا وفي لفظ فقيل له إن الناس قد شق عليهم الصيام وإنما ينتظرون فيما فعلت فدعا بقدح من ماء بعد العصر فشرب رواه مسلم Narrated Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhumah that Allah's messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam departed to Mecca in Ramadan departed to Mecca in Ramadan uh, this is the in the year of the conquest the year of the conquest the year, the year of opening of Mecca he and the people fasted till he came to Qura' al-Ghamim and then he called for a cup of water which he raised till the people looked at it Fasharib. ثم قيل له بعد ذلك so he drank and then he drank he was told afterwards that some of the people had continued to fast and he said those are the disobedient ones those are the disobedient ones and in another narration it was said to him that إن الناس قد شق عليهم الصيام it was said to him that the people have found the fast difficult وإنما ينتظرون فيما فعلت and they are uh, they are waiting for you or for what you will do he sallallahu alayhi wasallam then called fada'a bi qadah min ma he called for a cup of water after the asr prayer after the asr prayer and drank and this is reported by muslim now this occurred therefore uh, uh, on the journey to mecca in the year of the conquest and this is the great opening in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changed Mecca from a town of shirk and disbelief to a town of tawheed and iman and he went to Mecca in order to uh, fight Quraysh and this uh, took place after the treaty after the treaty which occurred two years earlier between the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Quraysh because you know Am al-Fatih the year of Mecca uh, occurred uh, was in, in the 8th year and the treaty uh, was in the 6th year after Hijrah meaning 2 years before the conquest of Mecca now someone may raise an issue that how how did the Prophet sallallahu how how come that he uh, breached the covenant uh, someone may say that he breached the covenant with Quraysh this is not the case the Prophet ﷺ did not breach the covenant rather the ones who breached the covenant uh, were the Quraishis uh, why? 
because from the uh, from the elements of the treaty between the Prophet and Quraysh was that whoever wanted to uh, enter in the covenant of the Prophet is allowed to do so or was allowed to do so and whoever wanted to enter under the covenant of Quraysh was allowed to do so now the tribe of Khuza'a the tribe of Khuza'a came under willingly came under the covenant of the Prophet so according to the treaty they should not have been uh, opposed nor fought so but what happened the alliance with Quraysh uh, transgressed transgressed against Khuza'a against the tribe of Khuza'a so what happened Quraysh then stood with their uh, alliance uh, and uh, they supported them against Khuza'a and Khuza'a were uh, on the side of the Prophet now so by this act of Quraysh they breached the covenant is that clear is that clear? So it was them who breached the covenant. It was the Qurayshis, the Mushriks of Quraysh, tribe of Quraysh, who breached the uh, covenant. So the Prophet ﷺ went and marched uh, on this year, and uh, he invoked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to make their coming to Mecca and their the, the news of them, of them coming to Mecca uh, kept away from Quraysh and this uh, occurred as the Prophet ﷺ wanted so he left with 10,000 fighters alayhi salatu wasalam 10,000 fighters the largest army led by the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam okay this was before before the army of Al-Ta'if because after the opening of Mecca others joined him also so the army of Al-Ta'if was greater than this army you understand? so this was the greatest army that moved from Medina but after the conquest of Mecca those who joined from Mecca as Muslims uh, then were in the army that went for Al-Ta'if so here the Prophet was fasting until he reached this place of Qura' al-Ghamim which is uh, a side of a mountain in the valley of Asr so the people fasted Uh, the people fasted meaning following their Prophet and he is the best to be followed so they were fasting like him following him sallallahu alayhi wasallam then afterwards he sallallahu alayhi called for a cup of water now he called for a cup of water and which he raised till the people looked at it now, <coughs> this was what, when he was informed that fasting was what became difficult 
right? Uh, that the news came to him that the people are finding fasting difficult and are waiting for what you will do, right? So, they were waiting to see what he will do, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was fasting. When he saw this, when he saw that it was difficult for some of those accompanying him to continue the fast, he called for this cup of water, and this was after Salat al-Asr, meaning that it was only, what, a short period before sunset. And he put it on his noble uh, thigh, uh, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and he drank, uh, and he was on his, he was on his uh, camel, and people were looking at him, and he in front of all of them, he alayhi salatu wassalam, uh, drank. And he did this by himself in order to make them feel comfortable to break the fast and take him as a lead, alayhi salatu wassalam, and for themselves to settle. And so he broke the fast and drank in front of the people. So many from them broke the fast, and they were most of the people without any doubt, and some who uh, were mushtahideen, they were mushtahideen, they were, you know, uh, exerting the effort in regarding uh, the, the position they should take, so they continued until the sunset. Why? Because they, what? It was only a very short period left till Maghrib. You see, this is, diff- this is similar to a situation which occurred with us in a previous hadith, right? Can you remember? This is not an opposition to the Prophet ﷺ. This is ishtihad on their part. Huh. Do you remember the situation in a previous uh, case? Anybody? Yes, for wisal, for continuing the fasting. You remember? When they thought that he was only doing this because he cared for them. You understand? You understand? So, this is similar. This is similar. Those who continued, those who continued fasting, they thought, you know, out of their own ishtihad, that the Prophet ﷺ did this as, what, because of his care and kindness towards them. And it is as if they said within themselves, you know, it's only uh, a very short period or time until Maghrib sets, so we will, let us be patient. The Prophet ﷺ is intending only to care about us, so let us be patient until the sun sets. Is that clear? So this is not an opposition Indeed. Now, so, then he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was informed that some people kept on fasting. So he said, those are the, the disobedient ones. Those are the disobedient ones. Now, they are disobedient because of what? of them continuing the fasting. But we know for certainty that they didn't intend the opposition. You see? 
they disobeyed by not, uh, you know, by not doing the same as others. But they did not do this based on intention. Rather, it is based upon interpretation. What was the interpretation on their part? Huh? What was the interpretation? That it was just for care. It's trying to make it easy for them. Yes, however, he called them disobedient because this is their apparent state. You understand? Because of this is what is really their apparent state, isn't it? This is on the apparent. Clear? Clear for everyone, inshallah? Clear now? Alhamdulillah. Now, the benefits of this hadith. The benefits of this hadith. The first benefit is the permissibility of travel during Ramadan. The permissibility of travel during Ramadan. And this is evident from the Book of Allah in Surah Al-Baqarah 2184. قال الله تعالى فَمَنْ شَهِدَ مِنْكُمُ الشَّهْرَ فَلْيَصُمْهُ وَمَنْ كَانَ مَرِيضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَّامٍ أُخَرٍ Observing fasting for a fixed number of days, but if any of you is ill or on a journey, the same number should be made up from the other days. Now, if someone says, if you consider it as permissible to travel in Ramadan, and since travel makes it permissible to break the fast, this means that you made it permissible for the person to drop off himself the obligation of fasting. You see the point? Meaning, travel and break. Travel and break. How could this be? The answer if he intends in his fasting to break the fast, then his travel is haram, and his breaking is haram even if he travels. You understand? Is that clear? Yes. Repeat. Yes, I repeat. If he intends by his fasting to break the fast, to break the fast, not to fast, then in this case, his fasting is haram. And his breaking is also haram, even if he travels. Because his intention from the fast, from the travel, is to break the fast. In this case, he intended to drop off a wajib. To drop off a wajib, an obligation. Clear? And the fitr is haram on him. Why? Because the inviolables of Allah cannot be dropped by deception and tricks. If someone says, is there any uh, comparable to this? Is there something comparable to this? The answer is yes, it does. The person eats the onions. So we tell him, 
as long as the order is there, present, then don't pray with the congregation and don't come close to the masjid. Okay. Now, if someone says, does this necessitate does this necessitate that uh, eating the onions is haram? The answer is no. Unless, look at this, unless, if, unless he intends to, you know, he intends abandoning the congregational prayer by eating the onions. In this case we say, to him, it is forbidden for you to eat the onions. Now, on the other hand, if he eats, we tell him, don't come close to the masjid. And if he comes close to the masjid, then he is sinful. So therefore, the origin is that the tricks deceptions, ways of deceptions does not make the haram halal and does not lift up of the wajib the obligation rather it makes the haram even worse because of the deception involved clear? clear now? the second benefit the second benefit the permissibility to break the fast during the day for the traveler. Even if he began the day fasting, then it is permissible for him to break the fast. Where is the evidence in this hadith? Where is the evidence in this hadith now for this? Yeah, uh, the fast was broken after Asr, during the day. The Messenger broke his fast after settling, after Asr. Called for a cup of water after Asr prayer and drank. You see that? And now, now there is no difference. Is there no difference if the individual, if the fasting person breaks the fast in the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, as came in this hadith? Then the question is raised. What do you say concerning some person who begins his day fasting in his town? Then it appeared to him that he needs to go on a journey to travel. Is it permissible for him to break? The answer is yes, he may break. Another opinion is that if he begins the fasting in his town, then he travels, then it is not for him to break the fast. And they said, he began fasting, and it is an obligation upon him, because he is a resident. And therefore, it is binding upon him to complete. However, it is to be said, Whatever prevented the obligation in the start, 
prevents the obligation in continuity. Why? Because it is a dispensation. Dispensation, it's a permit. And this is the correct opinion. So therefore, if a person intends to fast while he is resident in his town, then he travels during the day, then he may break the fast. Is that clear? Now, yes, we say, in this case, it is better to fast, right? But we don't say that it is unlawful for you to break the fast. You see the difference? You see the difference? We say to him, it's better to fast, and this is asserted in order to get out of the ikhtilaf, of the difference of opinion, but it is not forbidden for you to break the fast. And there is a difference between the two positions. Alhamdulillah. So, the correct opinion therefore, if the person intends to fast while he is residing in his town, then he travels during the day, then it is permissible for him to break the fast, although we say it is better for him to continue, okay, but we don't say that it is unlawful for you to break the fast. Is this matter clear, inshallah? This is the second benefit. This is the second benefit. I repeat, yes, okay. Okay. If a person intends to fast while he is a resident in his town, then he travels during that day. In this case, he is what? It's permissible for him to break the fast. And we say to him, however, it is better to continue. But it is not unlawful for you to break the fast. Now clear to you? Alhamdulillah. The third benefit. The third benefit. Fasting in trouble, meaning the fasting of Ramadan, is better. Is better. As long as there is no hardship. As long as there is no hardship. What is the evidence? The evidence here is that the Prophet ﷺ was fasting in this trouble, right? He didn't break the fast until the difficulty became what mentioned to him, right? Or was mentioned to him. So therefore, it is better to fast. This is preponderated by four matters. This is preponderated by four matters. First of all, that fasting in trouble was the action of the Prophet ﷺ. I mean, Abu Darda radiallahu anhu said, we were with the Prophet ﷺ in Ramadan, in very hot day, on a very hot day, and we were in, on a journey. And most of us had cloth to shelter them. And from amongst us were those who were sheltering uh, themselves by their hands. Sheltering the sun, meaning. By their hands. Allahu Akbar. Very hot day. And, uh, you know, the best of them who had the cloth as shelter. Meaning they didn't have a tent. And some of them and some of them sheltering themselves against the heat of the sun by their hands on their heads. 
And then what did he say? And no one amongst us was fasting except the Prophet والسلام, and Abdullah bin Rawaha. And the rest were not fasting. This indicates what? This indicates that fasting in travel is better. Is that clear? This indicates that fasting in travel is better. The second method that it is easier on the person. Why it is easier? Because fasting with people is easier. And that's why you find the person who has make-up days to make, you see that difficult to him. The third matter, it is even, it speeds the freeing of the responsibility if the person fasts with the people. Because he will be fasting in its time. But if he breaks the fast, then it's a must to make it in another time, after its time. Is that clear also? This is the third matter. Fourthly, that it coincides with the month of Ramadan, which is the month or the time of fasting. These are uh, four matters which gives preponderance to the position that uh, the fasting in travel is better as long as there is no hardship. And this is the preponderating opinion. Now, what about if there is hardship? Now, then in this case, first, if it is very hard, if the hardship is strong, then fasting is haram. Why this is evident from where? Can you tell? From this hadith? No. When the people from uh, yes, that the Prophet ﷺ called them disobedience. He said, those are the disobedient. Yes. Yes. This is a very strong, uh, very strong statement. Isn't it? To say that they are osa, disobedient. But, if the hardship is of, is not intense, and it does not, you know, reach a, uh, a great extent, then in this case, fasting is makruh. Fasting is makruh, detested. And it is not from righteousness. And the evidence for this is that the Prophet ﷺ one time saw a crowd and a man shielded. And he said, what is this? They said, this person is fasting. And he وسلم, said, لَيْسَ مِنَ الْبِرْ الصِّيَامُ فِي السَّفَرْ It is not from righteousness to fast in travel. Meaning, if the situation would 
come to this extent, then in this case the siyam is not from righteousness. Is that clear? So therefore, the first thing is with respect to fa- the trouble, fasting is better as long as there is no hardship. And hardship is of two types, lesser one and hard one. If it is of the hard one, then, you know, the intense one, then it is forbidden. Otherwise, it is detested. Is that clear now? These are the three cases with respect to the uh, travel. So there they are, the first case. If fasting or breaking the fast are same in their degree of easiness upon the person, then fasting during the travel is better for him. However, breaking the fast is permissible. The second situation, if fasting is difficult for the person, but bearable, then breaking the fast is more uh, proper. And, and fasting in this case would be... Uh, would be makruh. The second, if the degree of hardship is intense, such that he may fear harm for himself, then it is forbidden for him to fast during the trouble. These are the cases with respect to fasting. Now, the fourth benefit is that the Prophet ﷺ does not know of the unseen. Where is, where is the evidence for this in the hadith? Yes, it was said to him, it was said to him. Someone came to tell him. Now, until he was informed that there were the people, you know, it became hard on them to fast. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in fact, had commanded him to say in his saying, in Allah's saying in Surah Al-An'am, chapter 6, verse 50. وَلَا أَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبِ وَلَا أَقُولُ لَكُمْ إِنِّي مَلَكِ Say, O oh Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi I don't tell you that with me are the treasures of Allah, nor that I know the unseen, nor I tell you that I am an angel. So whoever claims that the Prophet والسلام, knows of the unseen, then he had belied the Qur'an. And he who belies the Quran, then disbelieves. And this matter has uh, many uh, uh, evidences to it. Like, for example, uh, when Abu Hurairah ta'ala anhu was with the Prophet ﷺ company in the in the, in the market of, of uh, Medina, he stepped aside, Abu Hurairah stepped aside, and then took ghusl and returned. The Prophet said, Aina kunta ya Abu Hurairah? Where were you? Where did you go, Abu Hurairah? He said, I was junub. I was junub in a state of sexual defilement. And I saw, therefore, did not like to be with you, accompany you, while not on a pure state. So here the Prophet ﷺ did not know, right? He did not know. Clear? Also, the woman uh, who used to clean the masjid, and she died at night, 
and they buried her at night. Remember the story? He وسلم, asked about her when he came, and he didn't know the unseen. He did not know of the unseen. Right? And also, it also was mentioned earlier in a previous hadith when he entered his home and he asked, Do you have something? Meaning to eat, right? They said no. He said, Didn't I see the earthen ware pot on fire? He didn't know what's in it. He did not know what's in it. So, so the, uh, the different situations and cases like this are numerous. Numerous. And it, uh, all of them stand as proof and evidence that the Prophet does not know of the unseen. Allah Azza wa Jal in Surah Al Jinn 72 26 Alim al Ghaybi Fala Yudhiru ala Ghaybihi Ahadan illa man irtada min Rasul. He alone, subhanahu wa ta'ala, the all knower of the Ghayb of the unseen, and he reveals to none his Ghayb, his unseen, except to a messenger whom he has chosen. So if someone claims the unseen from those who are not messengers in rank, it is not accepted from him, and he will be a kafir. But now the question, is it possible that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may reveal to someone from the unseen? The answer is yes, because he said, إِلَّا مَنْ ارْتَضَى مِنْ رَسُولٍ Except to a messenger whom he has chosen, right? As he likes, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the absolute unseen? No. Is that clear? The next benefit, the next benefit from this hadith, the good etiquette of teaching by the Prophet ﷺ, teaching of Sharia. How can you deduce this from the hadith? His good teaching. Raising the cup in front of all to see so that this becomes more profound because action comprises two things action comprises first knowing the matter meaning that if someone does something in front of you then you will know it second not only you will know it it will imprint in your memory okay and try yourself and you will find that which you had learned by way of witnessing is more profound than that which you have learned by way of hearing the next benefit the permissibility to break the fast at the end of the day so we don't say to the person hold yourself until the sun sets rather we say if it becomes difficult on you even before the sun setting by 15 minutes or so, then break the fast. Now, if someone asks the question, is there anything in the hadith which may indicate that they didn't make up that day? The answer, no. 
in the hadith there is mentioning that they broke the fast not mentioning the makeup does not uh, is not a a mentioning of non-existence why because there are other evidences which makes it clear that if the traveler breaks his day of fasting then it is binding upon him to make up that day as in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala stated earlier in the, in, the, in the ayah we mentioned earlier and who is ill or is ill or on a journey then uh, is to make up from other days the seventh the seventh benefit the permissibility of informing of opposition by other people and that this is not from Nanima Nanima gossip and uh, to sow discord between people how, how this is deducted from the hadith yes that the sahaba came to the prophet and told him that some people fasted now if someone says but is it possible that this may apply to an individual particular individual because the hadith we are talking about here is general it says some people came the answer is yes it is possible why because Namima in this case it is what for goodness not for evil and Namima is considered from the major sins because what is intended by it is evil now the next benefit is assertion assertion or affirmation and this, is, this type we have is textual because the Prophet ﷺ said أُولَٰئِكَ الْعُصَى أُولَٰئِكَ الْعُصَى those are the disobedient those are the disobedient ones this assertion is it in opposition to eloquency because it involves elongation of speech or is it in agreement with eloquency because it is in harmony with the with what is necessitated by the condition the answer is the second if assertion if, if it is of no if it is not warranted then it will be in opposition to eloquency because it will be additional phrases but if it is warranted then it is in agreement with eloquency because the speech now is in agreement with the reality of the condition and the Prophet ﷺ intended to assert that those fell in disobedience the ninth benefit the good following of the Prophet ﷺ as an example when it became difficult upon his company to fast yet they did not break the fast they waited for what he وسلم, would do and this was evident from the hadith 
The next benefit, the permissibility to ask something from others if we know that the other would put himself in service for the one who requests from him. Because this is not humiliation. And this is not considered from a blameworthy request. So when, when some person acquires from his son to do something for him or his wife and the like, this does not fall under the blameworthy type which the companions took the covenant regarding it with the Prophet ﷺ that they will not ask people anything. Now, can you tell from this hadith that this deduction is the case? Where is the evidence from this hadith? He then called for a cup of water. Yes, he called for a cup of water. So permissibility to ask from the other if we know that the other will put himself under your service or for your service. You understand? So this will not be from the type of humiliation. This brings the end of the discussion regarding this hadith. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it a benefit for myself and for all of you. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam a tasliman kathira.